even if literally two people were telling the exact same story, it would resonate with different people because of who those people are. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. Today I'm super excited about our guest because she is someone that I've been following for almost a decade, I would say. She's just inspiring in such a vulnerable and relatable way. Her name is Amber Ray. Called a millennial motivator by Fortune and the Brene Brown of Wonder by Mind Body Green, Amber Ray is an author, artist, and speaker whose work invites you to live your truth, befriend your emotions, and express your gifts. Hi, Amber. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Oh my gosh. First of all, I do have to tell you that I love your work and I think I discovered you like way back when, like years ago back in the Tumblr days. Oh like boy. Was, like maybe like tw- 2010 or around that time. It was a long time ago. I was in college. But I just remember it being one of the first kind of like inspirational content that I was exposed to. And I think your content, it just has like a great ability to connect with anyone. It's very relatable. You know, it Mm. wasn't very self-helpy. It was just like real. So Mm. thanks for that. Thank you. Cool. So I'm curious, did you always think deeply and ask these big questions about life or where did this start? Great question. So it did start definitely in my 11, 12 years of age. I, I lost my father when I was a kid mm. and watching him and he he was this like brilliant, creative singer, songwriter, artist, and unfortunately didn't really face himself or his demons. And that led him to get behind the wheel of a car under the influence mm. and led to Uh-oh. his early death. So it wasn't like, you know, it was a sad thing to witness and It brought up a lot of questions for me of why did he do that? Why did he leave us? Why didn't he face himself? And it just had me become really curious about the human condition and who we are, why we do the things we do. And so I remember getting my first psychology book when I was 11 and just being so fascinated by everything from like psychology books to Chicken Soup for the Soul was definitely Mm -hmm. a favorite. I love those (laughs) books too. Yeah. And, and anything that I could really get my hands on that felt soulful and that mm-hmm. awakened me to that conversation. So that was a huge catalyst for me that brought me to that space. Wow. So you really started early on. And when did you start, I guess, creating your own quotes and works? Like when did you become a creator? Well, it's interesting. I love that you you know, came across my work through Tumblr so long ago because it sort of mm-hmm. all started very accidentally for me. I started the Tumblr, what I thought was going to be this like private tumble, I don't know what they call them, tumble log to capture yeah. things that <laughs> inspired me, that spoke to me and to be really real with myself about where I was at and what I was going through. And I didn't think mm-hmm. that people would actually be interested in that or want to read it. And so it was mm-hmm. a surprise when I began building a following and having people say that, you know, my ability to self-reflect and to inquire and to share my experience was supporting them and be able to see themselves and see mm-hmm. where they're at and what they're going through. And that was a big aha moment in revelation. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, this is actually useful for people. Yeah. So it 
it was around that time that I was working. I'd worked with Apple and brand marketing world, worked in the agency world, and then I was in startup tech. And I was also going through sort of a that's when I was asking, you know, life's big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Is this what I'm really supposed to be doing? Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that people were finding value through me just being in that inquiry. Yeah, totally. And so that's when I started thinking like, what can I, what can I do with this and how can I support people even more and how can I open myself up and share more of what my my journey and my process looks like so that others can benefit from it. Yeah. I mean, just myself, I can tell you that when I found your work, I was also going through the phase where I was asking those big life questions. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? And so I think it... <laughs> Yeah, it just is so relatable. And maybe there wasn't an outlet where people just genuinely ask those vulnerable questions. There was either like, you know, people preaching self-help or mm. I, I don't know. It was just it's you do it in a very refreshing way. Thank you. People are mirrors. You know, they they see themselves in your work. So it doesn't have to do with what you went through. But if you create something like anyone can see their story in your work. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. Mm. Let's go back to your journey because you have an interesting trajectory from like Apple to like just the tech world. I read on your bio that you worked with like Seth Godin, Stephen Pressfield, and Derek Sivers, which I've read all of their books, like the three of them. So I'm mm. a, I mean, that's just so cool. Can you tell me more about that phase of your life? Yeah. So I actually, you know, in the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell calls it to, the call to adventure. And I felt this this call when I was in San Francisco working in tech. And for whatever reason, I felt this pulled in New York City, even though I hadn't been there, but I just could not shake the feeling that I had to go. And I decided to leave my job, sell everything I own and move to New York City in 48 hours. It was a little crazy. Wow. <laughs> but I, I was, I'm one of those people that that is not for everyone, but I am one of those people that, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to, you know, make, wow. a, make a story and an adventure out of it. Totally. That was actually, I wonder if that was around the time that you found the blog, because I think that was in 2000. 10. And that's mm -hmm. when the piece that I wrote about leaving tech and moving to New York ended up going viral. And mm. so when I got to New York City there, because of that, people in New York heard about it. I was getting job offers and someone wanted to create a TV show around like my adventures. It was it was crazy. It was a crazy time. And Oh, so you, you <laughs> went to New York without any like job or something there. You just, and you wrote about it and it went viral. Is that what happened? Yeah. And then people okay. became curious about like, even though it was like, I don't want a job right now. I'm going to figure out who I am and I'm moving to New York and I sold yeah. everything and here's, you know, I basically just oh. said what I did. And then because I, you know, I wanted to go to New York and I wanted to just experiment actually for a period of time. I yeah. had a little bit of mm -hmm. savings, not very much and selling my stuff helped. But, you know, I think there was like fun stuff happening in the startup space in New York that I wanted to explore and just explore my curiosities. That was really the goal. I spent yeah. about nine or probably I think actually like six months doing that. And that's when Seth Godin put out a blog post that he wanted uh, accomplices, he called it, for this new publishing experiment that he was going to start with Amazon. And I think I had like 12 people mm. forward me his blog post and they were like, you must apply for this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was feeling that same call as well. So I did. And then, you know, of all the people who applied, he picked 22 of us to mm. go up to where he lives in upstate New York and do sort of a, it was like a two-day interview process where we did everything from, we were like coming up with book concepts to, you know, talking about how we relate to fear. It was a whole, it was a whole thing. Mm. And I remember yeah. going, I remember going through the interview process thinking, there's no way that I got this. I did not, you know, I did not do a good job and I don't <laughs> think Seth likes me. 
<laughs> and um, and then I got an email the next day that basically said, you know, congrats, you're one of the dominoes we were called. Wow. And so it was me and seven others that worked with him over the course of six months to publish 12 books and that all published over 12, 12 months. 12 books. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you helped him create the concepts for those books? It was more so like Stephen Pressfield, he, you know, his first book, The yeah. War of Art, so good. Yeah. So we worked with him. It, the authors more had their ideas or, you know, a sense of the idea. And we worked with them to refine it, to edit it, to build a marketing mm. strategy around it, to, you know, do all the media. I mean, okay. we did, but we did yeah. expect the the author to do, you know, much of their writing and, and concepting. So they yeah, had, an, totally. they came to us with an idea. Oh, so you're saying like people like Stephen Pressfield and Derek Sivers were under this publishing experiment by Seth Godin. Yes, exactly. Oh, that is so interesting because some of those books are like classics now, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Isn't that so cool to say like, oh, I, I worked on that. It is. You know, I think you just saying that right now has me feeling this moment that I don't know if I like, you know, let, really let that sink in enough, oh, yeah. like how formative that experience was. Oh, totally. That's just so awesome to say that you've done that. So let's talk about you because you also have a book, Choose Wonder Over Worry. Can you tell us more about this book? What's it about? And then I want to learn about your process of like creating it. Sure. So Choose Wonder Over Worry, it's, you know, at the at the surface is about choosing curiosity of the unknown and wonder about what's possible over the fear and the worry of what might go wrong or whether we're good enough and all of those inner critical voices that we have that can get in the way. And the book is really a journey where you meet worry and wonder. And I bring them to life as these two characters where worry is our inner critic and wonder is our curious inner Mm -hmm. guide. And through wonder, we visit all of the different blocks and fears and insecurities and doubts that emerge in the process of sharing our gifts and finding our path. And we address them one by one. So I like to think it's a journey through the inner world so that we can find and give our gift. Yeah. And when you talk about that, it's, it reminds me of when you said you chose to go to New York because you just chose wonder over you know all the bad things that yeah. could have happened. Did you know that you were going to write this book back then? Not, I didn't know the idea yet, but I, I feel like since I was a kid, I knew I wanted to write books, many books. Mm-hmm. And so I had a sense that that might be the beginning of some adventure of what could be a book. I actually met an author um, soon after I moved to New York, maybe within a year. And he said to me, you know, right now you are writing the book. Your life mm-hmm. experiences are the book being written. And that's the most important part. Yeah. And that really stayed with me because I felt like, you know, you think of writing a book, it's like, oh, I have to like figure it out and figure out the concept when really we're often just living it. And it's mm-hmm. looking at your life and thinking, what have I lived? And what is the message that my life is a, a symbol or an embodiment of? So yeah. I didn't know then, but once I looked back, I was able to say, oh, like that's the overarching theme is really this idea of choosing wonder over worry. I love that. So I'm curious, what does your creative process look like now? Because you're posting content still and I love what you post on like Instagram. How do you do that? (laughs) Yeah. So I don't have a, this is exactly the way that I do it. Some days I'm so in flow and I'll create, you know, five or six pieces of art or pieces of content. Some weeks I have a system where I feel efficient Mm. and I batch my time. (laughs) But I found that like more than anything, so long as I'm staying curious and I'm following my, I do have a ritual. So every morning I wake up, I grab my journal and I write. Mm. And often in my writing, I, you know, I do what Julia Cameron calls morning pages. Yeah, I love that. Three, three stream of consciousness, pages of writing. And oftentimes that's just like 
put it like getting real with myself and being honest. I, I went to this workshop with Cheryl Strait and Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strait got on stage. I know it was amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Cheryl Strait got on stage and she said, do you tell your journal the truth? Mm. And I was like, ooh. And everyone in the room was like, ooh. And really that's my intention every morning is to tell myself the truth. And I find that when I'm being honest with myself, that's where a lot of content actually comes from. Like what are some of the the potent threads? You know, maybe it's an emotion that's really heavy for me or a situation that I feel stuck around or just a question or a curiosity that's really present for me. And often in that, something comes through that. So I, I think it's both, my creative process is both like, looking inside and being self-reflective and also just noticing, you know, others. It's whether I'm walking down the street and I overhear a conversation or someone comments on one of my posts and, you know, offers a thoughtful reply about how it speaks to them. Like I I can find inspiration in so many places. Mm -hmm. And so I think – yeah. I, I hesitate because I used to be looking for inspiration always outside of myself and I felt like that that created a disconnect mm-hmm. between me and the work because I'm always mm-hmm. striving to make it both personal and universal. Yeah. And, you know, I think when I take the personal out of it, it loses its depth and meaning to me and loses its like oomph mm-hmm. and I can like f- – the, the work just feels different. And so I've learned to just like make it more of this internal process and journey. And so long as I'm doing that reflection, it just seems to be like a never ending flow. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> like there's always something to journal about. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I have all these little like tools around the apartment. I have wonder blocks that have questions on the other side. So I pull one every day, which will be like, what are you avoiding? Oh. Or like, how do you deal with feeling stuck? Or what is your relationship to time? And, you know, every, I could probably pull the same block every day and have a different answer. And so those are great yeah. little just wonder like, blocks. Wonder blocks. Is that yeah. something we can check out online? I'm going to look that I up. I haven't. <laughs> it's like the number one most, everyone wants me to productize them. I haven't yet. Just oh because of, just because of like distribution and fulfillment. I don't know. That seems, that seems scary and overwhelming, but I'm going to make them at some point. <laughs> but it's essentially like a card with a question every day. They're more like Jenga blocks, actually. They're little wooden blocks. Oh. Wait, so you created this yourself for this purpose? Yes. <laughs> and I like... Yeah, you should definitely share that. And I even like... I worked oh with a gosh. woodworker who uses reclaimed wood to make the... act. Like it was a yeah. part of my launch. And then I have made these cute bags. So I carried around and I like sometimes ask strangers to pull a block. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the whole thing. I love that. I think you should definitely create that like for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm good. It's on, it's on my... It's definitely... A project to pursue. On On the list, yes. Yes. Awesome. So uh, let's talk about worry because your book about choose wonder over worry. I mean, how do we deal with worry? How can we be more practical about worries? Yeah. So I I like to first say that not all worry is bad because, you know, Mm -hmm. I think worry can get a bad rep when really worry is often trying to protect us and keep us safe from danger. And so Mm -hmm. I think first understanding the difference between worry that's toxic and worry that's useful is really helpful. And so, you know, useful worry is I have a deadline next week and I haven't prepared for it and I'm feeling a little anxious. Well, worry is inviting us to prioritize and get the thing done, Mm -hmm. you know, or if we're, you know, hiking and we're getting close to the edge of a mountain where he's going to be like, hi, back up because your life is important. (laughs) Or a recent example that I've been sharing with people that they love is if you're swiping right on a dating app and some guy's like, hey, baby, come over right now, worry might be like, that's a bad idea. 
So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, worry can protect us from danger. But the thing is, and, and also because of we have this like threat mechanism system in our brain and how we've evolved as a species is that anytime we're about to do something dangerous, that, that worry will say, hey, watch out. But the problem is, is because our brain hasn't evolved with modern society, we can experience that sort of worry anytime we're pursuing something meaningful or something that we've never done before, something novel or exciting. It can trigger that sort of worry when really it's a it's going to move us in the direction of growth. And so I think of toxic worry as worry that is that paralyzing, repeating, spinning voice that prevents us from taking action on the things that really matter. And so I always, when people are feeling worried or anxious or fearful, to really distinguish of like, is this a real threat? And is the fear or the worry serving you? And is there something you can do about it? Is there actually Mm -hmm. productive action you can take? Because if so, then it's useful. But if not, then it's just stifling and holding you back. Exactly. Like always ask yourself, will this help me grow if I do it? You know, even if you fail, like you'll still learn something and grow from it. So yeah. Totally. Yes. And does this to you, does this relate to like perfectionism too? Because that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Even me sometimes, like you just have this perfectionist mind that wants everything to be perfect, but then there's so much like anxiety around that. How do we deal? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, perfectionism is a, it's sort of like a sibling to worry or it's, I think, how does Elizabeth Gilbert, she has a great, she's like, it's, it's fear and fancy tights or something she says, which yeah, I can't remember her exact phrase for it, but I think it's such a good description of it where it's like, we want it to be perfect, but where is that coming from? And what's the difference between perfectionism that's paralyzing where, you know, we're setting unrealistic expectations on ourselves, thinking that if it is perfect, then we'll be lovable, then we'll be worthy and we'll be enough. What's the story that we're making about ourselves as it relates to whatever Mm -hmm. we're creating? And, you know, how can we instead aim for healthy striving where it's not about what we create being about whether or not we're worthy or good enough, but it being about, you know, trying our best, giving it are all, but not making it about whether or not, yeah, we're worthy and, and lovable. Mm-hmm. I think it all goes back to that story. Like, what does perfect mean to you and why are you striving for that? But like, I love yeah. the quote, like, progress, not perfection. Totally, right? totally. Here's an unexpected way to improve your space and your sleep. Change your light bulbs. Most LED bulbs leave your space looking washed out and artificial. Plus, they emit blue light that inhibits melatonin production and makes it hard for you to fall asleep. Sora Radiant is the only LED designed with full-spectrum color technology, making colors and skin tones look vibrant and real. As a creator, lighting is so important to set the mood and get the right shot. Sora Radiant bulbs are as close to natural sunlight as you can get with an LED. There's also a Sora Healthy Bulb, which is the only LED with zero blue wavelengths, perfect for winding down and preparing to sleep. Sora bulbs are dimmable, don't make any annoying buzzing noise, won't leave you with headaches, and are also super energy efficient. If you want to give it a try, Sora has a special offer for our listeners. For 15% off any purchase over $50, visit sora.com slash lavendaire. That's S-O-R-A-A dot com slash lavendaire and enter the promo code lavendaire at checkout. Again, that's sora.com slash lavendaire and enter the promo code lavendaire at checkout. Cool. So now I have some questions from Facebook. We got quite a few actually from Mm -hmm. our um, Facebook group. So Selena asked, 
Is there a particular worry that you feel has held you back from living your true self? If so, what is it and how did you overcome it? Hmm. So many. <laughs> yeah, let's unbox this. Like, let's see which one. Um, yeah. You know, the one that came up for me that I think was really, really strong around the book was imposter syndrome. Thinking, yeah. you know, who am I to write this book? And also, you know, even though I started studying psychology when I was 11, I don't have my master's in psychology. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a neuroscientist, but I'm interested in the brain. And so there, I, I actually like to name and create characters around these inner voices. So, like, one of my mm. inner characters, his name is Doc, and he's a Harvard doctor. <laughs> Wow. And then like <laughs> another one is Grace and she's like this perfect British woman who wants everything. She's like my inner perfectionist. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, um, but it's not good enough and you're not worthy. <laughs> oh my God. When you put it that way, it, it like makes it funny. So, And it also detaches yourself from that voice. Well, exactly. Right? And that's, I mean, that's the, that's what's great is that when I feel the perfectionist coming up now, I can be like, oh, Grace. Let's just aim <laughs> for like shut up or like hey let's aim for progress we're doing our best and like I need you to back yeah. off because you're you're getting a little annoying can you please go get a massage and chill out oh, <laughs> and we ne- love and we negotiate like that and so you know one of Doc was very present um, in writing the book of you can't write a book like this because you don't have a degree and the credibility mm. and people are gonna laugh at you and you know all of that. And so realizing that yeah, I'm the translator and it's it's not my job to necessarily be the professional, but I can, you know, Doc had some good points. There were times when I could actually reach out to someone who is an expert and get their perspective to make sure that the way I'm conveying something is is coming across mm-hmm. the right way. But ultimately realizing, you know, my role is not to, to, to be that, but to be able to tell the vulnerable stories and package it with with those insights that come from the field of science, but do it in a way where I feel like it's really relatable. Because, you know, to be honest, when I read books from scientists, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, I can't, I, yeah, I can't, I'm like, can't I, understand I can't read this. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's such great advice. I'm going to try to give my inner voices names too. But yeah. But <laughs> yeah, about imposter syndrome, I think so many people just have that feeling like, oh, who am I to give advice to others? Who am I? Because a lot of people want to be like bloggers or like, you know, inspire others. And they're like, who am I? I don't have the credentials or, or anything. But I just want to say that everyone's voice is important. Your story is so unique that no one can express Mm -hmm. it the same way that you do. That's something that I had to learn with time to just embrace it. And who cares about whether you're good enough or smart enough or credible enough? Just just do it. Just share it. Totally. And I mean, even if literally two people were telling the exact same story, it would resonate with different people because of who those people are. Exactly. And, you know, what their background was and what their age was. And like, it's just like, you know, no two people can resonate uh, with the same people. And so we we need as many people, Mm -hmm. you know, out there spreading the light. I agree. Okay. So the next question is from Sarah Nicole, and she has a question about depression. So she says she struggled severely with depression Mm. in her, her whole life. This year she's been okay, but she's worried about slipping back. So how can we keep ourselves out of that fear mindset of worrying about slipping back into depression? Mm. Well, I think, you know, whenever it comes to fear of something, you know, the fear, it's often the thing that we think is the problem isn't the problem. It's the way we're relating to that thing. Mm. And so I say that because 
instead of trying to like get rid of the fear or make it go away, I would really embrace it. And almost like going back to the inner voices, like what's the character that's afraid it's going to, you're going to slip back into that pattern. And how can you actually have compassion for that part of you and Mm -hmm. really nurture and be like, of course you're afraid because that was scary. And of course you're afraid because that was hard and I felt suffering. And, you know, that was a dark period. And I really, I'm afraid of going back there. I think really just like being real and honest with yourself and having compassion for, of course, you're feeling afraid and that's okay and that's human. I think that mm-hmm. will release the pressure of needing to not, you know, go back there. And, and again, like mood mm-hmm. shift, whether like I like to think of our emotions as weather patterns, they're going to come and go. And so I think it's learning to really embrace when it's moving through your system and let it move through your system without jumping mm-hmm. into a story of how it should be different or how it's wrong or how it's bad or how you should be feeling something else. Right. That's actually so key in learning how to deal with our emotions, not just like the fear of depression, but just like when you feel something let it come through you rather than suppress it or ignore it or worry about it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. For anger, for for anything. That's actually, like, how did you learn to do that? I learned that the hard way by not doing that. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, most people don't do that. (laughs) I, like, suppress so much that, like, all of a sudden I realized that things that I'd, like, wrapped in a pretty box and thought I'd put on the third shelf of my closet were now blowing up in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. and it's funny, one of my favorite people on uh, Instagram, her name is, I think it's called Therapy by Cat, and she just wrote something today about emotional fluency, and it's just the idea that, you know, we can think we're feeling our emotions, but we're actually thinking about our emotions, which means we're not actually feeling them, and we're getting caught Mm -hmm. in the stories, and it's just allowing ourselves to physically experience the sensations, because she says that emotions are just energy in motion, e motion. Mm, And so if we can just allow these sensations to fluidly move through us and learn to label them and be like, oh, that's sadness that's just visiting right now, that can be really helpful. And actually ancient Greeks believed, I think it was called Helianism, they believed that emotions were visitors. And so it was like, oh, anger is visiting me today. I wonder what message anger Mm. has for me. Or sadness is visiting me today. Or anxiety is visiting me. Why is it here? What does it want me to know? And I think that, again, that's like creating the characters. It creates this distance between ourselves, which we're just the vessel that's experiencing the sensation and the actual sensation itself. Wow. That's really good stuff. So let go of the story that you're telling yourself when you're feeling these emotions. Just just feel the sensation. But also Mm -hmm. remember that like each emotion has a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. It's trying to tell you something that you can use to help yourself. So, wow, that's so great. Okay, I have another question from Mandy. She is trying to write a memoir, so she wants to know what were the first steps an author should take to get her book reviewed by an editor or how to get published. Mm, So the first step I would encourage would be to find a literary agent. Well, okay, I'll say this first as a little bit of context. More and more publishers are looking for authors who can sell their own books, and Mm -hmm. they're looking for people who have audiences or who have a proof of concept around their work or, you know, maybe a sample of something that they've written has taken off and it shows that people are interested in this this topic or this story. And so my first question would be, you know, do you have an audience? Are you posting content? Are you writing publicly in any way to show that you can, when the memoir comes out, be able to sell the product? 
So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. And then with that, I would look for a literary agent um, because they can be an amazing support system around finding the right publisher. They handle all the meetings and all, you know, all the stuff so you can focus on the writing. Mm-hmm. And publishersmarketplace.com is a great place where you can look at like who are other memoirists that are similar to you. Um, you can look up who their agents were, how the book did, who was the editor on the book, all that. There's so much great information on there. And then, I mean, you can either cold outreach to different agents to see if they might be interested in the work. And I believe, I'm not sure because I haven't written a full memoir. No, no, no. Fiction, you need a whole thing written in advance. But I think memoir, you just need a really like riveting example of your writing. But yeah, good luck. And I wish you the best. Yeah. Thank you so much for that advice. I felt like that was really good and actionable, especially since you've like worked in that field as well. So lastly, I have some rapid fire questions that I like to ask everybody. Just answer with whatever's on the top of your mind. So what does your dream life look like? I'm living it right now. Wow. How so? I, you know, I feel like this last year is the first time in my life that I am only working on the things that I want to be working on in the role that energizes me. And in a way that can fund my mm. life. And so it's if you're familiar with Aikigai, yeah. which is I think it's it's the intersection of what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can get paid for. I feel like mm-hmm. last year, like I'd had elements of that working, but last year it like really all came together. That's amazing. And so for me there's a there's a whole Was it through your book or what? Yeah, I think the book the book was the catalyst for sure. A because I love writing and creating and I got to package mm-hmm. it into a thing, but then I got to take it on tour and meet people and have events and then it's leading to uh, speaking and like yeah. other opportunities. It feels like it that was like really the the core catalyst for everything that I want to do career-wise. Yeah. And then I'm awesome. getting married to my fiance in May, so <gasps> congrats. Very How excited. exciting. Yeah, very excited. Oh. I'm happy for you. Thank you. So, so what is one book or resource that you recommend to everybody? The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I love that book too. And the the whole program. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yes. Do you take yourself out on artist dates? I do. Oh. <laughs> I'm going I'm going on one on Friday. I'm doing a whole gallery day. <laughs> oh my god. That's amazing. How often do you do those? Weekly? It's, I, I try to do weekly, yeah. And sometimes it's not like an intentional plan. All of a sudden I'll realize, oh, I'm doing an artist date right now. I didn't even mean to do this. Right. Maybe that's why you're so creative. You fully follow the program. <laughs> For me, I like I love doing morning pages, but artist dates were a little like hard to schedule because I guess I wasn't used to doing that. But it, mm. it is fun. I want to do more of that. Yeah. Okay. What is one habit that has changed your life? I know I said this before, but without question, it's the it's the morning pages. It's the journaling because when I put pen to paper, mm-hmm. I feel like I can reveal myself to myself and see myself clearly. And from that place, I feel like yeah, much is possible. Totally. What is the best life or career advice you've ever gotten? Don't take it too seriously. That's the first thing that came to mind because I feel like you know, we can, it can be so hard and there can be the struggle. There can be all the things when really it's like, yeah, but we only get to the shot once. So like laugh at yourself and we don't have Mm -hmm. to take it so seriously. Have fun. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, Enjoy it. Okay. Lastly, finish the sentence. The most amazing part about life is. The most amazing part about life is the mystery of witnessing it unfold. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because it's always a surprise what happens. And I mean, life looking in hindsight, it all makes sense. But it is exciting to like live life day to day. 
and see what comes. Totally. I like that. I like that view. I never really thought of it like that. Totally. <laughs> Lastly, where can our listeners find you online? They can find me. So Instagram is my favorite. And I'm Hey Amber Ray, R-A-E. And then amberray.com. And then, of course, my book, Choose Wonder Over Worry, is on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Awesome. And of course, we'll link all of that in the show notes and the blog post. Make sure to check Amber out. She's amazing. Thank you so much, Amber, for coming on. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Finally get to talk to you after all these years of like reading your stuff. It's crazy. I'm so glad. This was so fun. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Amber Ray. Check her out online because I know you guys will love and relate to her stuff. So I just want to wrap up with some key points that I got from this podcast. The first one being when you're journaling, are you telling the truth? Are you being true to yourself and being honest with yourself? Ask yourself that next time you journal and next time you take time to look within. Because sometimes we sugarcoat things for ourselves. Sometimes we hide behind a veil because we don't want to see what's truly there. It takes bravery and courage to be completely honest and truthful to yourself. But I think that's where all the wisdom comes from. That's where you'll find the things that will help you grow. I also just love her main message of choose wonder over worry because you want to follow the side of you that is curious, the inner child, the side that believes in infinite possibilities or a better future for yourself over the side that just worries and is afraid. Maybe you're fearing failure or you're just worried because things are so new and you don't know what to expect. You want to live with an open mind and an open heart and be able to jump into new opportunities even if they seem scary, you don't want to close up and stick to what's safe, comfortable, and secure because most people do do that, but the good stuff is outside. All right, if you want to share your thoughts on this episode, feel free to tweet me at Lavendaire and we can continue the conversation over there. Sending you so much love. Have a beautiful day. Bye. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavendaire Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Next, make sure you check out the 2019 Artist of Life workbook and the Daily Planner by Lavendaire on my website, lavendaire.com shop. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavendaire, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Sending you so much love. Bye.